episode 249 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is a special Friday edition, making up for the Thursday edition that we missed. I am Paul Spohr, joined as always by Mr. Eno Saris, at least as always on the weekdays. Eno, how are you? Good. Getting, uh, trying to get ready for my big uh, Chicago-Boston week that's coming up. Um, taking the kids to Boston uh, for my wife has a little bit of work, so we're taking advantage of that. And then we're all going to Chicago for my annual Pitchfork slash Meetup trip. So that's gonna be great. There's I, a Meetup July 16th at the Rocking Horse in Chicago, and then a little bit of uh, music for me over the weekend. So I've only been to Chicago a couple times uh, as a kid when I was living just outside of Detroit. Desperately need to go back as an adult and really enjoy it. And uh, it's it's funny you mentioned that you're going. His girlfriend and I were talking about it rather recently that uh, it's a spot we need to hit where we can mix kind of the baseball and the fun with it, obviously with two clubs uh, there. And I say baseball and the fun. Obviously, baseball is fun, but it's not Dana's number one thing. She's not saying, let's go to Chicago and see the Cubs. <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, we, it's great, great food. That's the thing. Uh, the, the food uh, is going to be over the top. And she did, you know, we were watching a day game in Wrigley the other day. And she's like, that park's beautiful. Where's that? And that, that that's what got us on the topic. So uh, we will be able to mix the two. Uh, and it will be great. So I hope you have a great time in the two, uh, the Midwest and the Northeast cities that you're going to. We're going to kind of freeform it here. We had users send in a lot of topics that they wanted to have. We got tons. Great responses. Really appreciate that. Uh, it'd be about a five-hour podcast if we covered all of them. So I apologize if yours doesn't get covered. But we're just going to dive in. We're just going to hit these left and right here. Uh, we're going to start at the top with somebody that we – you got me in on this guy in, uh, coming into the year. I, I, I didn't see him as somebody that you know I got to go out and get. Um, but I, I you know got turned by you, and I'm glad I did. Even though it didn't start well, I'm glad because I stuck with Mr. Rugnet Odor. He got off to an awful start, had to get sent back down. Uh, but he's come back, and he's looked like the guy I think that, that you thought he could be all year. And so uh, – do you trust him this second time around? Let me, let me give you the numbers real fast. It was first set down after 29 games of a 144, 252, 233 triple slash. You know, I'm not sure that a, at age 25 he would have been able to uh, hang on with that without getting sent down. So at 21, it was an easy decision for Texas to say, listen, we're going to get you a breather down in AAA. No big deal. You'll come back. And you'll be fine. And uh, about 34 games later, he came back on June 15th. He's been raking for 20 games now. Rugnet Odor has a 357, 405, 557 triple slash with three homers and four stolen bases. Uh, a, a full season pace of 25 homers and 33 stolen bases. So, you know, it's obviously his best period right now. But is Rugnet Odor somebody you trust the rest of the way to be a uh, top 10 second baseman? Yeah, you know it's easy to kind of put the toolsy tag on him and, you know, kind of uh, say that maybe he's going to be streaky because he relies on athleticism and doesn't have a great plate approach, but I'm not sure that's a hundred percent correct because uh, two things, one thing you can see, and there's uh, Scott Strandberg wrote a great piece about this on rotographs is that uh, he really tightened up his, his swing zone um, when he went down to the minor league. So, that uh, that shows that even though he is aggressive and isn't all about taking the walk, he has some ability to, uh, you know, discern balls and strikes and to also, you know, change his selectivity and, and, and really 
focus on the pitches that he can hit. So that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing is, even though his walk rate doesn't look great, uh, you have to add his hit by pitches in. And that may have some risk for him injury-wise over the course of his career. Sure. Uh, but at 21, I'm not going to worry about it yet. Um, and, you know, it is uh, part of the reason why his on-base percentage, even though he only has a 6% walk rate, 270 BABIP on the year, um, he still has a 319 on-base percentage. So uh, he's kind of a sneaky guy that's, um, you know, not quite, you know, like people might not, think of him when they think in OBP leagues. But uh, considering how bad the OBP is at second base, um, I would say that he's not he's not such a bad option in any league of any kind of format. Um, and, uh, you know, just in general, I like his... It, it, then you can go back to the tools and say, here's a guy who has power, who has speed, is really young, should be, um, you know, on the upslope for all every part of his game. And, uh, and, and, you know, learned something down in the Miley's came back and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm disappointed that it started that way sure. because it's part of why my labor squad sucks so bad. <laughs> uh, uh, I am happy to see him uh, performing again. Yeah. With three, with, you know, two plus months left in the season, we'll call it two and a half. Uh, he can almost erase that, that, that first start for Odor if he continues to hit like he's been since he came up. Obviously, I, I think he'll slow down a little bit. But by season's end, um, I don't think we'll remember the, the slow start quite as much. I'm very impressed with what I've seen from Odor. I actually had a chance to catch him a couple times in Round Rock when he was down. Uh, so I like that as well. You know, you mentioned that the HBPs for him, the hit by pitches and how you got to kind of fold those into his on base. Stony Marte is a similar guy. Um, in that, you know, he's he's kind of utilized the the hit by pitch to supplement his walk rate. Like you said, it's not ideal for health, but uh, it does work in terms of getting on base for for a high stolen base guy. So I like Odor second base. There's some, you know, it's not a terrible position, but it's not so rich that uh, that you that you can't have someone with maybe a, a couple flaws or some some bumps in the road still upcoming. So I like Odor. I want to talk about a uh, youngster that. You know, had his first start, but left for injury with it, and and it's a bit a bit of a microcosm of his career. Thankfully, he bounced back, came back into his second start. Uh, the very you know didn't miss any spot in the rotation, but it sucked that he even had to leave early. I'm talking about Manny Benuelos. This guy was an Uber prospect with the Yankees, and I think it was. Man, maybe the 2011 spring training that uh, that he was really good, and there was even some talk that maybe he should start the season with the club, despite the fact that he'd had three starts uh, at Double A as his peak uh, for Banuelos. And unfortunately, it's 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 been a bit downhill since then. Um, if I have the right year, the 2011 year, he then went out and he was okay in 2011, and then pretty much since then it's been injuries. 2012 only 24 innings, and it caused him to miss all of 2013. I believe that was a Tommy John, and then uh, back last year only 76 innings, okay. Then he was traded, I believe, over to the to, to the Braves via the Yankees, and uh, you know they've had no no bones about using him this year after missing some some guys and he's been all right for them for two starts Re really nice so far just 11 innings seven hits allowed three walks eight strikeouts what do you see in this smaller lefty uh you know obviously with the health being a big concern let's let's uh, accept that and and kind of move on from it and focus more on the skills from this left-hander what can he deliver if, if Manny Benuelos can stay on the field for the Braves the rest of the season you know from a from a movement standpoint it's it's pretty good I mean it's when you watch him and when you look at his pitch FX numbers, he, he does have 
a decent uh, big curveball. It's not very hard, but it's 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 nice and big. Um, he's got uh, a good change that's maybe a little bit uh, got a little bit more fade than average, but just basically an average uh, changeup with a nice ten mile an hour gap. So that's good. Uh, people are swinging and missing it at those pitches. Um, although I, I I'll come back to that swing rate in a second. Um, and then uh, average velocity for lefty, uh, average movement. So, you know, a little bit above average in in terms of um, fade on the changeup uh, and the curve. Um, you know, maybe a little bit above average considering he has all three of those average pitches. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of rare to actually have three average or better pitches. So Certainly. If you add uh, all so, up. You know, no, I, I'm using the word average. It's like. You know, that's three averages means you're above average. And and I think that's uh, something that has been uh, focused on maybe the last year plus in baseball in terms of using that word. But it's still a point that needs to be driven home. Average does not mean bad in in any sense of the word, really. Um, it, you know, average is fine. That, that, that's quality. If you can be average uh, in the major leagues, that will work, especially if you have several tools that are average or better. And so I like that from Banuelos. Um, I think if he can stay on the field, and that's the biggest key, though. You know, you got to take the injury risk, but that, that kind of comes with every pitcher, whether they have a track record of his. It's a little bit worse than more. So, you know, I, he, he would be below average there if, if we're yeah. talking about uh, the, the risk factor. He, he's he's closer on the edge of, of you have to worry and maybe expect some time missed from Banuelos. But the talent is there. I thought this was a solid, solid move by the Braves here because um, even though Chase and Shreve's really been excellent for, for the uh, Braves, or excuse me, for the Yankees. I believe they got David Carpenter as well in that deal, but Shreve's really been the standout. Um, They didn't need that. You know, John Hart knew what he was doing. He knew that they weren't really going to contend this year. They got off to a decent start and they're holding their own just a couple games under 500 because of things that that John Hart did, like get Manny Banuelos and Cameron Mabin, et cetera, et cetera. But what are they going to do with a couple relievers, even high quality ones, like somebody like Shreve? So solid move here. I like somebody like Banuelos to gamble on and, and just hope he stays healthy because I think that you could, it could be a big payoff. And it kind of leads us um, into – well, No, I need, I, need to, I need to do a little cold water. Okay. Um, and the cold water comes from this. Uh, right now, batters are swinging at his changeup 60% of the time. You don't think that will continue is what you're saying? No, no. I think the average uh, is much lower. In fact, I should get that number. But the reason I bring that up was also because they're not um, – they're not swinging at his as curve. It's 25% of the time, which is really low. Um, even for curves, curves are the lowest swing rate um, in in baseball. But um, what, what so what happens is so they're not swinging at the curve, and it's a ball 53% of the time right now. So it, and it's not a called strike pitch for him. So it basically um, can be eliminated by the batters. In in some to some extent, uh, if you look at. Um, if you look at uh, his his walk rates, then in the minor leagues, you start to see okay, maybe they've been uh, they've been sitting um, on the change in the in the four seam, and maybe that's why the swing rate is high. Is that the, the scouting report is swing at the at the fastball, swing at the change, uh, and spit on the curveball. So um, so even though the curveball looks average, you know, in a way they're eliminating it, and it's not you know half the time it's just a ball, and that's not not good for his his deal. And then you've got this exaggerated swing rate. The swing rate uh, I just found on changeups is well, it's 50%. It's actually a decent. It's one of the highest in baseball, uh, but still, 58% is high. Is high even for that. 
So I think that'll come down, and then we're going to see how how well he can command the change. And just in general, um, you know, I think the tendency when you don't know someone, uh, when you're seeing someone for the first time, is to swing, um, and uh, and you know, in a, in essence, be um, fooled. I mean, you know, just you you haven't seen it before, so you're going to swing and be fooled, right? Sure. So his swing rates right now are above average. You know, forty seven and a half. Uh, over 40, you know, just basically, basically above average and people are, are, are swinging. I think people at some point will just stop swinging. I think they'll swing a lot less and then you're going to see the walk rate go up. And if he has a walk rate of four and can't push the strikeout rate north of seven, um, then you're just going to see a guy who doesn't get a lot of ground balls, is walking a lot of guys and kind of depends on the national league to, uh, to rescue his numbers, I think. So I accept that cold water. I do. I do. Um, mind you, uh, for anyone curious, I'm not. I'm not saying .82 ERA and .91 WHIP are going to continue. <laughs> but um, you know, if we're even talking like a .360 ERA, and 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 you know, not killing your WHIP too, because that's where you're. That's where you're really talking. Is that the walk rate could balloon, and then if you're carrying kind of a, a lame WHIP, your uh, your middling kind of ERA .360 .370. It's just not going to have the same impact. So I get that. I, de- I definitely get that. I just – I've liked Banuelos' talent going back to his days with New York. So yeah. um, I'm hoping for some – you know, maybe some in-season growth here to kind of back up some of the numbers that we're seeing right now. Again, those are sky-high excellent numbers after two starts. Those won't continue. But uh, keep an eye on him then, guys. If, if you are going to invest – I think you make a great point about the curve and that second time through sort of thing. Is the walk rate going to double? You know, because in the majors, um, you can expect better strikeout. Excuse me, worse walk rates and worse strikeout rates than you had in the minors, of course. And so he's almost around four with the walk rate as a minor leaguer. If you're not careful in the majors, all of a sudden you're at five. So I, I get that there is risk, but uh, there is also the potential to to pop here. Would you drop um, some of these borderline? Guys that have some, um, you know, some upside and have done something, but, you know, also some downside. Would you drop guys? Uh, who would you drop for Manny Benuelos? Uh, Jesse Hahn, Chase Anderson, or Jimmy Nelson? Those are some pretty good names to, to challenge you with. Um, right on the periphery. I, I mean, it's the kind of names I hear about all the time. Absolutely. You know, I would take a shot uh, over Nelson. And I'm not even anti-Nelson or anything like that, but I feel like if my, if if the Banuelos flops, gets hurt, or the walk rate balloons too high, I can either go out and, and get Nelson right back or yeah. a, a very accurate facsimile of. Whereas I believe Han and Anderson have the potential to to go a little bit higher, at least for the you know next couple of months here. And sure, Nelson has that potential. We've seen some high quality games from him. But in terms of rating the three or rating the four, really, Nelson would come fourth, and uh, Banuelos become would come third. So I would make that move for a gamble because uh, the leagues that you're talking, those are probably 10, 12 team mixers maybe even a 15-team mixer, um, I can get something like that back. So I'll take a shot on, on the blue-chip prospect uh, by cutting maybe a green-chip prospect. It's not like Nelson didn't have pedigree when he was coming up, just not as high as Benuelos, at least from what I recall. Um, yeah, So I, and I think Nelson 
there's kind of at some point you do need to look at the overall numbers. And Nelson, yes, he did add the new pitch, and it's nice, but the overall numbers are like the exact same. Exactly. So, we just haven't seen much change. We've seen the flashes, but the the the, the downs have been so ugly for him this year. Uh, Jimmy Nelson has three games of six plus earned runs. One of them where he only made it two and a third innings, and so that's really hurting him right now. And we often see that with a young guy. Uh, until you can avoid those implosions, it's hard for you to become that frontliner type. Uh, you know, you can even see flashes of brilliance here. Early in the season, we saw it. Um, you know, he was, I remember a high-quality game that he threw against Detroit in Detroit. Uh, you know, things like that. We've seen the glimpses from Nelson, but the downs have been too much. And I, I guess that's what you're really risking here with Banuelos. Hopefully, he doesn't go out and put up some 10 earned run game either. Um, I want to move on because we're talking about health with Banuelos a lot. And I want to shift over kind of the hitter side. And when, at what point do you start trusting um, a disappointment's breakthrough? And what I'm talking about normally is guys who have been hurt in previous years. And so, you, you know, you're always like waiting for them to kind of miss that time. And it usually hampers their numbers. And so their skills are usually better than their numbers until they're not. Then all of a sudden the numbers start coming through. Two names that jumped out. First off, one of the, the example that the, the, uh, user who sent this in gave was Brett Laurie. And then a higher end example for me, at least, because I was never really much of a believer until recently, very recently, to be honest, is Jason Kipnis. Now, these are two guys that are they're different, I, I'll admit. Uh, Kipnis had definitely done more in the past than Laurie has. Laurie had that that big, you know, f- first debut. And then that's really been it. You know, 170 plate appearances of excellent work and then he kind of struggled through his early 20s until he's looking all right in in a half season with Oakland so far. Kipnis had some huge months uh, to kind of carry his 2012 and 2013 seasons but then he was a nightmare last year as injuries uh, cost him 30 games and were probably hampering him while he was playing. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there uh, because the numbers are so terrible and unlike anything he put up before. Finally healthy, Kipnis is putting up not just an all-star season, but almost like an MVP caliber season. He's been amazing this year. So he's probably easier easier to buy than Laurie. But just generally speaking, when you see one of these guys who has consistently, you know, left expectations unmet or not been able to finish seasons, when do you believe that it that it's real? Does it just take a couple months for you when you start to see the skills? Or are you still tentative on somebody like a, a Brett Laurie? Where are you at on, on those type of players? You know, I'm trying to find um, how uh, trying to find a, a, a Rob Arthur piece that he wrote um, about uh, at, at, at baseball for Texas about injury uh, and projecting it, but. Um, uh, you know, the uh, it's called I think what makes baseball players injury prone. Yeah, and so he finishes the piece with um, with an actual model, and the model is days missed this year, uh, th- this coming year. So your projected days missed this year is 0.18 times days missed last year, plus 0.1 times days missed two years before, plus 0.02 the, the three years before. So basically. Uh, plus 0.004 the age. So it's almost all, I mean, it's one fifth, um, you know, what happened last year. Sure. And, you know, it's basically, and then one tenth, you could, you could probably do that. One, one fifth of what happened last year plus one tenth of what happened the year before. So, you know, Laurie has missed a lot of times, but if you actually, a lot of time, but if you actually look at, um, you know, days missed, 
um, for the last two seasons. Um, you know, okay, so last year he missed, uh, it looks like he missed 97 games. So you would take a fifth of that. And then, um, was it, no, actually, it's, it's, 70, it's 97 days. So you take a fifth of that. Uh, actually, it's 103 with, uh, with uh, a little bit with some day-to-day. So you basically, so you would, you would project 20 games based on that. Okay. And then 2013, he missed um, another uh, 60, 70 games. So you'd, you'd add another seven games. So um, you, you would project that Laurie would, would miss seven games, 27 games this year. Now, that's just a projection. And sure. obviously, uh, you know, you would probably want to add some information about the fact that he's been healthy so far this year, right? Sure. So you wouldn't just say, well, the 27 games he missed are still coming. I mean, that's that's not really how it works. And, well, he's missed uh, six so far this year, um, and, and and they all look like days off because there's none in a. Or actually, there was a three a three spot in a row there, um, in in late May. So maybe that was a nagging injury, but all the rest are one offs. Um, he's yeah. played 82 of Oakland's 88 games, I believe. Yeah, 88 games. So 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 you could say he's got 20 games missed left, except that you want to enter in the information that is most recent, which is the last half season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you kind of just move that model a little bit, um, you know, and, and use the last calendar year and do, you know, move it around, I would, I'm, you know, this is all back of the envelope on the fly, uh, pencil, uh, pencil math, but I would say probably your full year projection at this point is down to about 20 and he's already missed six of those. So, um, so a DL stint, you know, for a 14 day. DL stint left, but it's probably on the minimum. And I would guess um, that, you know, it's more he misses a few days for uh, platoon issues or, you know, because the uh, because of how Oakland works, you know, they almost nobody plays every day. Exactly. Um, and I would give him, you know, uh, I, I you know, I think the projection systems are close, but I might take the over on the projection systems, what I'm saying, because the projection systems basically um, they're taking away most of those games still. I mean, if there are 80 games left, um, they're taking away the full 20 games. They're all giving them about 60 games left. Um, you know, that's I think that's okay. You can say that. But I think uh, he's shown enough where I'll take the over on that and give him more like 270 uh, plate appearances. You know, get him up into that 550 plate appearances for the year. Which would be a career high. Uh, which... Yeah, which is amazing. I but know. Uh, maybe maybe he's maybe he's gonna come short and do 2012 when he had 5.36. But uh, even with that, he's gonna hit set a career high in home runs. Uh, he only needs four to do that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's probably gonna steal, you know, seven or eight bases. So I think when you look up at the end of the year, Brett Lowry is gonna have hit uh, 280 uh, with you know. 14 home runs and seven stolen bases and a good, uh, a decent on base percentage. So, you know, it's not quite what we thought we were going to get out of him back in the day. And at 25, it does still have a tiny bit of growth left. Um, so I think uh, in, in the real life arena, I think Billy Bean did okay. I agree. You know, because he, along with this piece that isn't quite Donaldson, but is a lot better than people thought, he got Graveman and Nolan. Graven so far looks at it like very worst case scenario, fourth, fifth starter, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's worth a lot. And then you've got 
sort of the Nolan piece left left on. And and not to mention the prospect piece that everyone says could be the biggest of these pieces, Franklin Barreto. So uh, you know that that's that's years down the line. He's in he's in high A this year at age nineteen. Uh, he may never play for. Uh, Oakland. But. That, that's the thing too. So you know, you might end up saying whoever they trade Barreto for is yeah, the fill in that trade tree. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, so far, even though someone like Donaldson's absolutely killing, it doesn't automatically mean that Oakland got smoked on that deal. And I think you you point that out with Laurie. So that, that's a good that's a good call there. Let's talk about some expectations for some low playing time stars so far. And th- these are basically the guys who've gotten hurt but are back. Uh, so we're not going to work or no, uh, one of them isn't do back. Miss, do we talk about Kipnis? Do oh, no, no, yeah, about? yeah, yeah. No, I want to talk about Kipnis too, because um, he's a little bit different than Lori because he didn't, he didn't miss all the time. But like I said, last year, you know, even though he played 121 game or 129 games, I bet a lot of those were injured. And then the two years before that 152 and 149, but both had big second half fades. So, you know, is it time to believe that he's 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 a superstar at age 28 because he's putting up a superstar season? And when do you take that guy? I think it's a different case than Laurie. When do you take the guy who's shown good, 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 solid sort of stuff and jumps to that next level? And when do you believe that that next level of superstardom is actually true with somebody like a Kipnis? Well, I mean, I think there's two things going on here. One is that he, like you said, he played injured last year, and that's a definite thing that you have to point out first of all because. That affects your projections. So he was under projected for power this year. Um, I, I nudged him forward in all my power projections. And um, that's that's one thing. So just getting back to where he was power-wise in 2013 is a great sign. And I think that um, projection systems are sampling, still sampling that 2014 too hard uh, where he was just playing through an injury the whole time. So I'm going to take the over on the rest of season power and basically say he can keep this up, you know, 160 ISO. From that guy, uh, I believe it. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've changed my tune on him and 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 started to believe more. But because uh, I I thought prior to this season, it, Kipnis basically had a couple good months, uh, excellent months that really carried his numbers. But this year, he's been excellent, and the health piece I think is so important uh, because too often we assume if a guy's on the field, he's healthy. Uh, he's healthy, healthy enough to play. Those are two very different things, as we mm-hmm. saw last year. As he was trying to grind it out, and and you respect that, but from the fantasy perspective, it hurts because you're you're still putting him out there, and he's not giving you what what you expected. Uh, but the Indians are probably like, you know what, we'll we'll take it because it's still one of our our core pieces here grinding it out but this year like i said he's been excellent uh the, only the flip side yeah i was gonna say only six home runs but do not sleep on the 32 other extra base hits he has including an mlb high 27 doubles so Jesus, uh, that's a lot of doubles any any of you in points leagues you're loving yeah. him even more than than the five by five guys not that he's failing in five by five with 57 runs six bombs 36 ribbies 10 steals and a 331 average. Kipnis has been amazing. I, I'll take a he, I'll take a pass on or uh, I'll take a sorry on that for for doubting him. <laughs> the other the other side uh, which I think gets to how much is his Babbitt going to regress. He, you know, he's had a, a plus Babbitt for his career um, you know, based somewhat on on hitting the ball hard, I think. Um, but uh, you know, decent decent hard hit rates for his career at least. This year he's he's got the hard hit rate back up, but um, Another thing he's done is pulling the ball less than he's ever pulled. And this, you know, goes right in line with some of the things he said about changing his swing. He's changed, you know, certain aspects of his swing. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly what they were, but I, I remember reading about it. 
and uh, and he's also hitting more ground balls than ever, uh, or, or fewer fly balls. So that is uh, that has taken away uh, some of his home run power. Uh, but you, it is important to remember that when you regress his his batting average on balls in play, that maybe it's more of a 2013 series season where he had the 345 Babbitt for the year, mm-hmm. and not so much of the, you know a career just regressing back to his career of 319, which is what uh, the projection systems are doing. So that's a good point. You know, you know, it is. You know, it, it, he has given something away with this approach in that you know he may not hit 17 homers, but. Um, you know, if he, if he regresses more to like a 285, 290 batting average the rest of the season, and then you look up and at the end of the season, he has like a 315 batting average with 12 to 15 homers and 20 stolen bases. I mean, he's, uh, he's going to be one of the uh, top three, uh, second basemen in the league. hundred percent agree. Uh, unfortunately don't have him anywhere. I was not a believer. Got that one wrong. I think even at a, even with only a half season, I think I can com- confidently say that I got Jason Kipnis wrong. Um, let's talk about <laughs> some of these low playing time stars. You know, so they're not going to show up on leaderboards. You might kind of forget them unless you have them, in which case you're like, geez, what's going on? But uh, they've missed time. I, we got five of them here. Four of them are back, and one could be kind of on the way right after the All-Star break. And I'm just curious what you expect out of them the rest of the way. We're going to start with Hunter Pence who we actually saw get injured, uh, and it looked pretty bad at the time. Uh, you know, we saw him get hit. We were at that spring training game, and it made kind of a pretty loud noise for just getting, you know, getting hit mm-hmm. in the wrist. Uh, came back, wasn't quite ready yet, had to go right back on the DL with the wrist again. He's back yet again, and uh, I think folks are expecting Hunter Pence to kind of help, you know, be a big catalyst for their teams if they if they drafted him this year. What do you see? It's only been a couple games back so far, so I'm not going crazy over a three for eight or anything like that. Even, you know, nothing that we can draw from uh, what he's done since being back. But I'm wondering if you think he can be kind of that second half star or since Pence's game is more about playing 155 to 162 games, even if he stays healthy the rest of the way, is he going to be somewhat – is he kind of mitigated because he doesn't exactly just kill it. He's more of an accumulator. Where, where are you with Pence specifically the rest of the year? Yeah, it's an interesting spot. I mean, some people have said that he was on their wire. So uh, wow. you know, if he's free like that, um, you know, I'm probably fine to place for him. But in terms of acquiring him, it is an interesting guy because he's also kind of, you know, he's, he's more streaky than the numbers suggest. I mean, um, you can kind of see it when you when you see that bad year that got him traded, the 253 average with uh, Phillies. But um, you know, even uh, even all the other years, I've I've, I've owned uh, several shares of Pence over time and uh, traded away and traded for him and, and and thought many different things about him because I you know at the beginning I thought he was overrated because he didn't walk enough and he struck out too much and his power wasn't elite and I thought those stolen bases would go away, but. The one thing that he has done that has proven me wrong over his career is remain physical. You know, remain physically impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really, he really dedicates himself to his his workout regimen, the way that he eats. Um, I mean, he is really gonna stay at the top of his physical shape as long as he can. Um, so, and, and you can even see that I, because I go to these games, I go to AT and T Park all the time. I see what he's doing when he's on the DL, you know, I see him, um, you know, throwing as much as they allow him. And, 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 you know, they said 
we're going to put him in a cast because if we don't put him in a cast, he's going to work out. Exactly. He is one. Hunter Pence is one of those types who is just going to do what he thinks he has to do to get back on the field and play. You love that most times, but sometimes you have to almost have to protect the guy like that from himself. So I get that from the Giants' perspective. Then, then, then the weirdest thing is he had uh, he had a uh, a good. So they put a cast on him. They took the cast off. They put the cast on him to stop him from working out and to also heal the tendonitis. And the tendonitis was related to the break that we saw. So what happened is he broke his, uh, he broke his uh, something, his wrist or something. And then, um, w- you know, while that was healing, I think probably because he was still doing some workouts and because he was trying to push it coming back, uh, the tendon was was rubbing over the bone or something, and that was creating some tendonitis. So uh, they basically had to stop him from moving by putting this thing on. And, um, and so now he's good, but the, the way they decided that he was good was he had a really good batting practice. <laughs> he, wow. He hit a couple home runs in batting practice and they, and they activated it. They, Cause it was a, like, it was a sneak activation, right? There was, oh man. they were, they, yeah, because they were like, oh, he looked really good in practice today. We're talking about how many, uh, you know, how many games we're going to put him on a rehab and we'll just see how many games he needs. And then it was like. He's in the lineup tonight. It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> I, I, everyone was like, wait, what? What? DFS? Yeah. Can he be played today? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and so surprise activation, and that kind of goes to seen, your main point. You should have seen the first plate appearance, man. He he looked terrible. I mean, he was waving at stuff. I don't, he was – I forget who he was up against. He was against Cologne. somebody who didn't have a good huh? – It was Cologne in that, in that first game yeah. back. He was up against Cologne. Cologne doesn't even throw his changeup much. I don't even know if it was a changeup or a sinker or something, but um, he was Cologne was throwing stuff that he doesn't normally throw because he could see that that um, that Pence was like jumping out of his skin to swing. Swinging strikes and, on the last two strikes, only a four pitch strikeout. Didn't take long to get him flailing. Uh, to, oh to your point God. there, <laughs> it was just and you know. Uh, highest swing rate of his career since uh the first two years of his career so that that goes to what i'm saying which is that he's he's reaching and he's swinging and he's he wants to get back out there and uh worst you know oh contact of his career um you know so he's he's swinging at pitches he shouldn't be swinging at right now of course i think he's gonna find his his groove um it, it's just you know when is the the bad streak gonna come because he hasn't hit any infield flies and he's going to because he has a lot in his career He's a bit of an infield fly guy, actually. Um, and then, uh, so when does that happen? He's hitting two grounders, two and a half grounders for every fly ball. He's never done that. He's never done worse than 1.6, 1.7. So uh, when that starts, uh, when he starts hitting more fly balls, he starts hitting more infield fly balls, they're going to go for, for lazy outs. Uh, the batting average is going to come down. And you're going to get the more the 270 guy who hits 20 homers but missed half the season. So he's only going to hit you another five to seven homers and how many bases is he going to steal? It's always like an eternal question. Absolutely. Uh, Because he's gone so weird. Just going over Pence's numbers real fast, stolen bases, 11, 11, 14, 18, eight and five. And those are both full seasons, folks, 154 and 160 games, then 22, then 13 and just one so far this year. So we have no idea. Yeah. So uh, to your point, like I think, uh, you know, he may be overrated in trade acquisitions probably because his owner has been holding on to him this whole time saying, uh, you know, I'm going to get Pence back. I'm going to get Pence back. You know, it'll be, it'll be like a trade. So, you know, I doubt that I'm going for him in a 10 team league. I think he's a 10 team uh, outfielder. Absolutely. I think, I think you got to listen. I don't think 
Hunter Pence, because he's an accumulator, uh, it is going to be tough for him to, to make you feel all that fulfilled with his second half production. But uh, I still think he's somebody that needs to be owned in every single league. I can totally see what you're saying where he was probably trying to make up for the lost time, particularly in that first game back. I think he had seven <laughs> swinging strikes that game, uh, not just the two against Cologne. So he was really trying to get back and that. You could see that from him, but he'll calm down and realize I can't make it all back at, at one time. He's an all-formats guy. There's a chance that he gets white hot and, 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 and really does it for you. But if I'm betting, I would probably be in that sort of uh, you know seven home runs, solid batting average. I'll, I'll even stick with closer to the uh, 291 that he's had so far this year as opposed to the 268 that all of the projections give him. I'll say closer to 291, so let, let, let's say something in the 280s. And then the runs and ribbies should be fine because the Giants haven't been too bad offensively. And then I'm just I'm really torn on the stolen bases. I'll say six, but uh, with stolen bases, it could be 12 and it could be one. It just really can, and he's been a guy, Hunter Pence, who's shown how – uh, crazy stolen bases can be when they when they're uh, you know not from a total speedster. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Yasiel Puig because I think he's really disappointing folks, uh, which is funny because he has a 131 WRC plus, and that's usually not a recipe to be disappointed. 10% walk rate uh, right there with last year's, even though last year was kind of a tale of two halves with his with his discipline there. He was really disciplined early and then kind of fell off. And just a 19% strikeout rate, again, both in line with last year. So great approach, but just four home runs so far. Granted, only in 40 games for uh, for Puig. No stolen bases. Not that that's a huge component, but it goes back to what we're saying. 11 and 11 each of his first two years, zero so far this year. He could go on a flurry and get back on an 11 pace, or maybe running is just not part of his game. And they say, we need to keep you healthy. We don't need a couple stolen bases. What do you think we can get from Puig the rest of the year? And is he somebody you might target as a bit of a buy low? Because I think you can get a discount. Maybe not an overwhelming one, but a, enough of one to make it worth it, if you believe. I'm I'm buying. Okay. I'm, I want him. I'm I'm hot after him in a, in a keeper league. Uh, I hope they're not listening. <laughs> yeah, they're not really listening. But, uh, but, you know, even in a redraft league, I think you might be more likely to get him in a redraft league. Uh, where people kind of believe in the lost year phenomenon, but uh, but uh, here's a 24 year old. Yes, he might not steal a lot of bases because he's he's coming off a hamstring. But you can you can put away. I mean, his projections are for five stolen bases. Put away two or three of those. It doesn't matter. That's not going to sink his value. What you're talking about is a guy who's going to hit close to 300, and you know. The power is nice. I, I I doubt there's a lot of people projected for a three like a 290, 300 batting average and 10 more home runs this year. So, first off, that's that's just straight projections. Mm -hmm. And then I have a feeling he could have a really nice second half. And the reason that I say that is that there's been this slow growth in his in his um, in his numbers. The kind of growth that we haven't seen from a guy like Christian Yelich because. You know, Puig came into the league hitting half his balls on the ground. That's a normal thing. And then every year he's hit a few more fly balls, hit a few more fly balls, and and hit a few more line drives, and hit a few more, you know, a uh, few more hard percentage. And he's messed with his oppo and pull, which I think is great because that means to me that he is adjusting to what pitchers are doing. They were throwing him everything outside to so an oppo for a while. Then they started trying to bust him inside, so he pulled for a while. 
And so I see uh, a guy who is a variable approach that that's malleable at the plate that hits the ball really friggin' hard and has hit more and more fly balls and fewer and fewer infield fly balls. Mm -hmm. So he's managed to change his swing plane so that he's hitting more fly balls and hit. He's not susceptible to the infield fly ball. So this is a guy who's going to have a plus Babbitt. And I think power growth is coming, especially when you pair uh, his 24-year-old age in there. I mean, I think Puig's are out to go off. Yeah, I know folks love disagreement between podcast hosts, but you won't find it on Puig because I, I, I love <laughs> the guy. And I'm doing the same. I've got him in two leagues. Wouldn't trade him for anything. One's a keeper league, so no chance. But even the redraft, no thanks, holding him and then trying to acquire more shares because this is a guy – who can get that that kind of hot that can carry your team? It, it's hard for one guy to carry a fantasy team uh, because you know we're dealing with such a, a large number of guys usually. But Puig is somebody who can turn your offense around even if he's not running. He could literally get three stolen bases the rest of the year and still have enough power and batting average to turn your team around. There's certain guys who've got name value that, that the fantasy community just loves, whether their stats are there or not. There are guys on the other side who have like some name hatred and, and, and their name just uh, pushes them down a little bit. Puig is in that camp. There are folks who don't like Puig for whatever reason. They don't like his flair or whatever. I tend to love all of that sort of stuff. And so I'm very interested in that guy. I do believe that th there's a discount to be had out there in a lot of leagues, not all of them, a lot of folks out there do realize how great Yasiel Puig is, but there are some who don't. So it's just kind of a case-by-case -case basis in your league. I'll tell you what, though. I'd even pay market value. Even if I couldn't get a discount, I would still pay for Puig. He can be that kind of special. Let's shift to Milwaukee here and talk about two guys. Uh, you know, part of the reason that they've had such a down season, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, let's be honest. But part of the reason is they, they've been without two key guys for quite a bit of the season. And that's Carlos Gomez and Jonathan Lucroy. Now, uh, out front, you can you can tell me if you think either get moved. I think it's a long shot that either would get moved. I'll, I'll, I'll go with a firm no, to be honest. But uh, if you do, go ahead and feel free to expound on that. But beyond that, what do you think we can expect the rest of the way from Carlos Gomez and Jonathan Lucroy? Yeah, you know, uh, Gomez, I'm a little worried about the steals. You know, the, the, the success rate isn't great. And the injury was to his legs, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, he's, so, he's been he's been terrible. Uh, Carlos Gomez is seven for twelve this year on the bases. That's that you don't usually see that kind of uh, poor running from him. Actually, uh, the, a wrist got him earlier. What was the what was the injury that put him on the DL? I'm I'm looking that up. Go ahead and keep talking about him, and I'll get the exact injury. I thought it was I thought it was like a hammy or something, but um, yeah, I, I'm a little worried about those stolen bases, and you know the projections have. Have jumped right there, so you know it was a hammy. The wrist was a was a minor thing that recently had him out for a couple of days, but not the DL stint was a hammy. So that's terrifying for a runner, of course. Yeah, and um, I mean he's he he's going to have a little bit of time to get good um, again, um, and uh, you know so there's a there's a chance that uh, he gets good, but it's you know with the way that stolen bases age anyway. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, he's 0 for 1 uh, and and 2 for 3 um, since June started in stone bases. So mm -hmm. it's not like um, he's picked it up recently or anything. So, yeah, I think uh, you got to really revise that stuff down and, and, and think of him just uh, in your head as maybe like a 15-15 guy. Um, still good. 
which you know is a good good way to i think encapsulate both the fact that he is still valuable but um not necessarily the kind of first first second you know third round talent that um he was going into the season so uh, you know, what do I think about that uh, going forward? Again, going back to the way Stone Bases age, you know, can he get his hammy right? Um, I think probably early projections for next year would probably be like 275, uh, 18, 20. Maybe, maybe, and then maybe you could push it if you think he's going to get those legs healthy again and push it to 25, 28 stolen bases. And he'll be 30 next year as well. So that it's going to make it tough to keep putting up those big stolen base numbers. And he's not an overwhelming power guy. So all of a sudden he becomes one, you know, your, your OF2 that that you really like because he does a little bit of everything because even a 275 average maybe doesn't overwhelmingly help you, but it certainly doesn't hurt with the uh, plate appearance totals that he was putting up. I think Gomez will be solid the rest of the way. I would be interested in getting him, um, provided that the discount was there. Whereas I'm saying I'd pay market with somebody like Puig. I need a little bit of a discount uh, on on Gomez here. I can't just be sold that he's going to be fine. He's going to run in the second half. I'm looking at that seven for 12, and I just don't like it. Um, and, and so if he's not that power speed guy, Carlos Gomez just isn't as alluring a- anymore. So I would take the chance. But you have to get a discount. What about Lucroy? Because he he's only played 46 games. He wasn't good when he first got back. He's he's only had a couple runs where he's he's been getting going so far. Very early in in July, uh, he's looked a lot more like himself. Is this a, a harbinger of things to come, or is Lucroy still going to struggle? Uh, kind of go up and down the rest of the way. Where you at on the on him? And that catcher, I know it's a it's a low threshold to be good, so that helps him. But is he somebody who who's who can be huge for you in the second half, or more who could be eh, just solid behind the dish? Yeah, that's a tough one because I mean, part of his he's he's a little bit like Pence, right? And that he's a an accumulator. He's a guy who's going to play first base and get yep. you more plate appearances. And you know, he's not a guy. You know, I doubt he's going to you know steal nine bases again like he did two years ago. Yeah, because he and, was four for eight last year. Even that 18 home runs that he hit that year, I think, are out of reach for him. Um, even that pace, I would say. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd buy. I don't know if I'd be buying that hard. That's fair. I love Jonathan Lucroy, the player, but but I'm never, first off. Here's the thing. I'm pretty set at catcher this year. That was one spot I got pretty right because I absolutely adored Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, I got so much shares of Grandal. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a situation where I'm going out looking. And uh, I was late on the on the vote boat, but I even got a share of him via trade before he, you know, before he like really kind of busted and uh, or busted through, I should say, because bust has a different connotation usually. So from a personal standpoint, that's probably why I'm not going to be going for Lucroy, even though he is one of one of my favorite players behind the dish. But even if I did need catcher, I would be a little worried. First off, you take a beating back there. That's that's what got him in the first place. Wasn't it a foul ball that busted up his foot? Um, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, one of those ones that goes straight down and gets a catcher in one of the three or four spots where they're not well covered. Um, and, and just the numbers, they don't look great right now. I think the best that you could hope for, because you mentioned the home run pace is nowhere near and nor should it really probably be expected to be near that 2013 level. At that point, you're really hoping if you're if you're investing in Lucroy that he could be a 310 hitter the rest of the way. You're hoping for the big batting average as opposed to the power. But goes back to your point earlier about 
if you're not playing all the time, then the batting average, first off, catchers already have their t- playing time stunted. So if he's not playing a lot, plus we're in the second half, that batting average maybe can't have that same impact. So I'm a little bit more nervous on Lucroy for the rest of season um, because I just don't know that he's going to be that power batting average beast behind the dish that he was. But I, but if he, if he keeps going the way July is, I'll be willing to change my tune. But as it stands right now, I don't need him, so I won't buy him. But even if somebody was in need, I would say maybe look elsewhere. Uh, even even buying a Grandal, I'd be more comfortable with, even though he's going to cost more, because I, I, I just think he's going to continue. I absolutely love Yasmani Grandal. So, um, so last guy. Let's do a quick, uh, just a Zips game here. Uh, <clears throat> 280, uh, 280, home, uh, 280 with 237 plate play appearances and five home runs. Is player A. Okay. And uh, let's see, player B, who may be on your uh, waiver wires, is projected for 292 and four home runs. Well, I want that second guy, I think. For free, especially that 292 with four home runs as opposed to 281 with five homers. Uh, who Who is that guy that probably doesn't have a name track record? Uh, actually, he does. Yadier Molina. Oh, snap. That's a very interesting name because he might, you know, um, in terms of like a disappointment, he's he's been one of the bigger ones kind of dating back to last year. That's and really interesting. I've seen him on y- waiver wires. He was a fill-in for me. He was a fill-in for me literally when Luke Roy went down. And I so now I think I still have both or I dropped one, but like. You know, I was kind of like really you know. interesting between those two because they're 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 huge name guys, and the expectations are there, but are they gonna? Wow, yeah, I don't know who I would choose right there. Dang, you know, it, it's it, the the fact that Luke Roy is um, hitting the ball a little bit softer and going oppo and hitting the ball on the ground a lot. You know, you don't know if it's just a small sample or an injury thing, and if he's gonna get that right. Uh, but it, you know, it's enough for me to say, well, you know, uh, Yadi is hitting the ball in the air a little bit more, and the projections have them right there with each other, and Yadi is the one with the 290 average right now. Yeah, I was gonna say he's already got the t- the 290 average. It's been a little bit punchless, but if he recaptures his, I mean, uh, one has one's projected for four home runs, one's projected for five home runs. So it's like, you know, big deal. What exactly? Yeah. So and then so then I, at that point, I think I have to take the healthier guy as it is. And I think Molina is that healthier guy because you talk about Luke Roy going oppo and kind of changing the swing. Maybe it's because that 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 foot, uh, I believe, it was actually just a, 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 a toe. But, uh, well, you know, we'll call it the whole foot. That base maybe isn't as steady as it needs to be for him to drive the power. And that's what I'm talking about here. If I can't get that power, I'm no longer as interested in Lucroy. I'm going to go Molina there, and I never would have thought I'd say that at any point this year because I thought Lucroy yeah, was going to be a stud, and I was no, way like, off damn, Molina. Drop Molina. <laughs> it's, it, it's, would you take Molina over Lucroy at this point? Uh, the the way that team is constructed, I could use a few stolen bases. So okay, uh, I'm just going to hold on and hope that Lucroy takes off for for second. You know, a couple he's definitely times. Gonna, if if one of the two uh, steals three stolen bases the rest of the way, it's going to be Luke Croy. <laughs> that's so. that's true. That's true. If you're going to get well. a little bit of speed there, um, it, it would be Luke Croy for sure. Let's let's wrap up this section here with uh, Anthony Rendon, somebody we haven't talked a ton about because he's not out on the field. When he came back, 
he was, you know, kind of rounding into form. His batting average and on base were on point. The power wasn't quite there yet, probably injury injury related, excuse me. But then all of a sudden back on the DL, same injury, I believe, the quad. He's, he, the timetable uh, in terms of how long he's been on the DL suggests that he could return before the break. There's no chance they're going to do that. There's no need for them to kind of waste that. So, you know, let him sit out this weekend here, go through the break, and then come back hopefully shortly after that. Let's assume that Lucroy, excuse me, that Rendon is back within the first 10 days uh, from the break. So somewhere between the 17th and the 27th of July. You know, I know that if it's the 17th, he's obviously got 10 extra days to be better. But let's just say somewhere in there he comes back. What can Anthony Rendon do for you the rest of the way? How confident would you be in in trying to invest, even with the injury uh, concerns still looming overhead? Because you know that that was this big question mark coming in. It was not, it's never been the skill. It's always been can Anthony Rendon stay on the field? So factoring that in, where where would you be on him if he comes back at a reasonable time after the All Star break? I I just I'd feel really nervous depending on him. So I'd rather. Um, I think he's the kind of guy that I would uh, go for more in a league where I'm top three and have some surplus. Yeah. And, and, and can think about like, if I was, especially if I was running away with the league and it was head to head and I wanted to ensure myself a little bit against, you know, playoff blues, I would love to take some accumulated depth and go get Rendon right now because I love that strategy. you know you know because then Rendon is like your util and you've got a second baseman and a third baseman and maybe he can be better than those two but you're not sort of depending on him as long as you have like a top 10 top 12 situation in your second and third base spot and Rendon mm-hmm. then I love you maybe if you're in last and you just you know need you need something to go right uh then then i would go for it but if you're kind of in the playoffs in the middle right there i mean it just seems like and then and then you're gonna trade for rendon and then pick up a wire guy for the dl in the meantime or or you're gonna depend on rendon it's gonna be rendon or uh jace peterson then because you're not gonna uh, get rendon for free either he won't be right so and 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 then you've got a lot riding on a combo of Jason Rendon, which is like, I don't know, man. That I get. That's why I would say be in first or be in last. But if you're in sixth and you're like, or in fifth and you're trying to get to fourth or something, like that's that seems like a dicey proposition. You could easily, you know, Rendon tweaks it again and is out another two weeks, and then you keep plugging Jace Peterson in. You're like, oh god, I wish I had my old players back. Exactly. I, w- I wish I had my, you know, uh, Colton Wong. Who I dealt for for Rendon and something, right. or you know whatever the case may be there. So that's a good point. Plus the situation that Washington is in, you know they're in a situation they're in first of course, and they don't have to rely on him. So they're almost the real life situation of what you're talking about. I realize fantasy and real life are much different, and they desperately uh, would much rather have him. Anthony Rendon than say Danny Espinosa and Yunel Escobar, but both of them have been performing very well. So they're not feeling that pain nearly as much. So I'll agree with your strategy there. If you're in the upper third there and you're feeling really good and you want to try to get a discounted Rendon uh, who could be a star for you down the stretch, but won't kill you if he's not love it. Or if you're super dead and you're thinking, man, I'm just going to take some Hail Marys here. 
same thing. Go for it and hope he turns back into a star. But those mid-tiers, be careful. Just a little bit too much injury concern for this year, uh, even though uh, Anthony Rendon was a guy I was supporting this year as a first-round pick. I want to talk about potential second-half breakout guys. And we're, we're, we're going in the non-superstar division here. So, you know, like a Robbie Cano or whatever. It doesn't even have to be a struggling guy, really. I'm just talking about guys yeah, who— We just talked about a bunch of guys. That, yes. Yeah. Uh, who, who could bust out. And so I got a couple guys. I'm stealing one from you. I don't even know if you're going to pick him, but this is a guy that you got me hyped on very early in the offseason, and I've, I've stayed on that train since. Um, so I got two guys, and, and hopefully you got a couple as well. Uh, Jung Ho Gong is my first guy. And I, I might have picked him even without the injury to Josh Harrison, but obviously that makes things a lot easier for, for Gong's playing time. Uh, he's already got, you know, he's very close to pacing toward a double-double season, which is double-digit homers, double-digit stolen bases with a decent 259 average. Well, now that playing time is going to be there for him. He's going to get a lot of chances to play third base with Josh Harrison down, and I'm just excited about him. I think this guy's a, a quality player. His transition seems to be going well, obviously, without knowing. You know, I don't know him. I can't speak to his day-to-day. But, you know, you're kind of trying to make judgments based on how they're playing, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I feel like his transition to the United States is going pretty well. So I'm pretty excited about Gong for the for the second half. How have you felt about him after a half? I know you were high on him coming in. Are you still high on him? And is he someone who could be a nice power speed? Uh, he's going to play third, but he qualifies at short. So that's another reason I love him. He can be a high-impact player at a, at a weak position. Where, where are you on Gong right now? You know, I think we've seen enough uh, contact to um, to believe that he's going to do better than his rest of season projections for strikeout rate. Um, you know, I don't see a swing strike rate or a strikeout rate that says that he needs to strike out 28% of the time, like Zip says. So, um, you know, I think that the, the batting average he's showing now, at the very least, uh, he can continue. And so then the question becomes power. And you, you kind of slide over and you look at that 55% ground ball rate and you say, well, I don't know if he's really going to show much more power than this. And so then he'd be, you know, a fill-in, I think, level kind of guy, you know, somewhere between 12 and 15, MI, that kind of stuff. Not, not really a top 10 shortstop. But I will say that I'm really looking forward to this and um, this stretch because he hasn't played, you know, in a row. Exactly. And so, you know, even though he's not pinch hitting specifically, he I, I I would say that there's probably some sort of pinch hitter penalty for not playing every day. So, you know, this, it's not pinch hitting in that you're actually out on the field, but it it's a little bit like pinch hitting in that you didn't play yesterday and you're not sure about playing tomorrow. So there's a little extra pressure on you to swing, I think, and, and do certain things and put the ball in play. So I'm really interested in seeing what happens with that ground ball rate because when I, I did some research recently – uh, where I looked at his splits against, uh, I looked at everybody's splits against pitchers uh, of different handedness, and he had something like eight ground balls for every fly ball against lefties or righties at some point. Maybe it was against righties at some point. He had this crazy split where he was hitting the ball solely on the ground against one uh, against one handedness. Probably and, righties because he has lesser work against them, but that I'm just guessing based on that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and but that's why I think this this uh, this this block of of time is going to be really important because um, you know that I went back. It, it took me like three weeks to do that research, and nobody read the piece. It was on the end and Sierrate, and. Um, uh, it, that was crappy, but, uh, 
what uh, was interesting about that was that in the meantime, the three or four weeks that it took to do the piece, uh, when I look back at his, his stats, they were uh, they had normalized very much, and he had you know a much more normal uh, split. So Gong's head, you're saying, not not in. Yeah, Gong has. So you know, I mean, now uh, now I can I can barely tell you which side it was, but um, now he hits. Uh, let's see, is the ground ball fly ball is down here. Uh, he hits 2.7 ground balls per fly balls against lefties, and he hits 2.1 against righties. So uh, he's really normalized a lot of things. He pulls a lot, uh, especially against lefties, but uh, that's normalized a little bit too. So, you know, it is it is bad news that he pulls a ton and he pulls it on the ground. At the same time, you know, uh, Charlie Blackman just told me that he thinks, he's like, I got to be honest with you, pulling is where you get hits. And he said, I want to hit it to the slow guys on the corners, not the uh, fast guys up the middle. So, that's, yeah, that's uh, a good point. So, uh, you know, He's as a righty, Gong's not going to get shifted a lot. Um, so you know, if that pull, if that pull philosophy meshes with a few more fly balls in, you know, as he gets comfortable, uh, we could see a bit of a power uh, explosion. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I would say explosion because I could, I could see him with a 180 ISO uh, the rest of the season because this he was a special power player. Yeah, that and, uh, I, that's what I'm thinking. If, if we could realistically get double-digit homers out of Gong the rest of the way at shortstop, and it might not feel like a lot to say, oh, you know, I got I got 10, 12 homers from him, but it's huge. And then it's huge on its own, I think. But even in the context in the context of shortstop, because it's so lame, that's what really pushes it over the top. And that's why I'm excited about Gong. And I believe in the in the Pirates being a quality team, and I think that that's going to help his situation in terms of runs and RBIs. So. I think we're going to get a big second half out of him. I'm staying the course where I've got him and maybe even scooping up a few other shares. Do you have a guy that you think could, could be kind of that second half bust out? One of those guys who, you know, really, really turns it on. Maybe not quite J.D. Martinez level, but, uh, you know, somebody who we already know is solid or whatever, but they take that next step and they really help carry teams for the final two months. Who's one that you got? I'm still in on Jorge Soler. I don't, and, I don't blame you. I love watching and, that guy. I mean, he is a beast. He is huge. He doesn't – there's nothing in his history that suggests to me that he should strike out 31% of the time. And I like that he's up the middle, big, you know, hardcore right now, um, and hitting tons of line drives, has a good ground ball fly ball mix, no infield fly balls. So – this guy is going to have a plus Babbitt. I mean, he has everything he needs to be a plus Babbitt. Really high hard hit percentage. Um, he doesn't qualify uh, right now. But if he if he qualified, he would have the 11th best hard hit percentage right between Bryce Harper and Todd Frazier. So you're saying that's good for Solaire. I, I, yeah. I, tend, I tend to agree. That I mean, that the dude crushes the ball. And, and, you know, we throw around the term beast a lot. But the dude is a monster. He's so huge. And he looks so smooth and fluid for being that huge, at least when I watch him. I'm really excited about him, too. I agree with you. This is a guy who, again, we're not projecting this, but when we're talking about breakouts, you're looking at the upper edge. This is somebody who could be that 20 bombs um, in the second half. Jason and I had a big talk about second half expectations on Sunday. And how you can't just throw around that he's going to hit me 20 homers, that, that, that it's actually really, really, really special to do that. And so if Soler was able to explode for a 20 homer second half, it would be 
very significant. Um, what do you realistically think we'll get in terms of uh, in terms of his production, though? It, you know, because like I said, you don't want to go around throwing 25, 20 around as the expectation. But what do you think we're going to see from him? You think he beats the projections that he has currently? Well, the projections I think are probably you could probably sum them up best by saying 250 with eight homers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely saying that I'm taking the over on those. Way over, yeah. And um, and. You know, I think uh, you know since he's been back from the from the uh, DL, it's not a lot of sample, but uh, the strikeout rate's been 21%. So um, you know, to me, that's uh, you know going to show that's possible for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had 19, 20% strikeout rates in the minor league. So, and I think you know a, a 24%, 23% strikeout rate, I could see him doing that. Um, so now you're talking about uh, a 270 batting average. And then uh, the projections have eight homers. You know, I, the difference between eight and ten is, is, is very little. So, you know, I, I, you can give him ten. And then I think he really could do 15. So, and that'd be great. You know, 20, 20 uh, wouldn't surprise me. And that would be my bold prediction. Like, if we were writing a midseason bold prediction column, uh, maybe I should tell the staff to do that. Right. Uh, just for fun. I know someone but, was uh, reviewing theirs so far, and and um, so I, I kind of I kind of agree with that. That could be a fun thing to do for the second half. But uh, if I was going to do a bold prediction for the second half, I would say uh, 275, uh, 20 homers from him. But that would be that's bold is always the one where you know you're kind of saying stuff that you, you know probably five percent likelihood of happening or whatever. But um, uh, you know, in terms of like you know, slightly more than 50% likelihood of happening, like, you know, meat projection, I would give him, you know, basically continue the batting average and, uh, you know, get close to 20 homers for the year. You know, and I, I guess four now. you know, and I are Jorge Soler fans. You can, you can, <laughs> you can put that in stone. I don't think it will well, change. Well, we're supposed to apologize. We're supposed to apologize for uh, Drew Hutchinson. That's right. That's right. We do have to apologize. I feel like we've done that though. I mean, I, I how many more times can I apologize for Drew Hutchinson and Shane Green? I mean, I want I want to flip it back and say, uh, can you please give us some love for all the friggin' pitchers we gave you? Right. And honestly, like, what what is there to apologize for with with Hutchinson? He has uh, almost a strikeout per inning, and he walks uh, two point eight per nine, and he has a three sixty Babbitt. I mean, not really I, it's actually. not all explainable in Babbitt. But if you told me those, if you told me that he had, would have, he would strike out almost as many people as last year, he would walk fewer people than last year, and he would give up fewer home runs than last year, I would say, hey, we got you a good pitcher. Wait, we what, told you about a good pitcher. What if I also told you that he's going to cut his OPS against lefties, his big bugaboo last year, by 121 points? You would have added all that up and said, hey, that's going to work out. But he flipped his platoon split for some reason. Righties are mashing him, and lefties uh, are having trouble. So he's putting the pieces together. You'd best believe that you're going to see more Drew Hutchison love again in 2016. I guarantee yeah, right. it. I'm sorry. Unless he collapses in the second half, there's no way I'm not going to be right there with him because even in the midst of a 533 ERA over 18 starts, I'm finding things to like. So I'm not going to apologize as much on him. Shane Green, the command wasn't there the way I thought it was, but I still believe in the stuff. Um, but it's not like we didn't that give you I'm guys. Less, that one I'm kind of I would actually more apologize, I think, for Shane Green. Because and I have, I have apologized for him. Because that one, that one is like, that you know, though, 
the, it was a shape of change up thing for me. And the, he, he believed in the change up and he threw it. And um, if I, you know, the, the shape of change up guys for me that I, that I said, okay, I like the shape of these guys' change ups. They don't throw them a lot, but I like the shape of them and they're going to do well this year. The, the guys were Jesse Hahn, uh, Ant, uh, Anthony Discofani, um, uh, Andrew Haney, and Shane Green. Uh, I think there were a couple more, but that those four. So, are, like, you, you, I think you can give me two out of four. Hey, and Haney looks looks, looks pretty great. decent. I've so been very impressed. If you give me three out of four on something, I'm, I'm like we were using analysis that isn't, you know, isn't hasn't been vetted, and uh, and hasn't been around for a long time. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I, and and this is the second year in a row of doing pretty well uh, based on that kind of analysis. Then, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> I mean, listen. I'll, I, in addition to making some mistakes, I also said I love Chris Archer. There is injury risk baked in from some of the factors that he has, but at the same time, he was a uh, guy who you could get at the back end of the top 50s, who uh, among starters who had top 25 upside. That was a quote. That I said uh, about him. So you know, we, we had some hits too, guys. Don't just focus on our on our two of our big misses. And you know, uh, and someone said uh, that uh, that there that there wasn't as much pitching depth this year. And uh, one exhibit I have is I don't know if people remember I uh, spent twenty percent of my uh, I spent twenty percent of my uh, budget on uh, pitching in one league. And I came into the season with a terrible rotation. Mm-hmm. And I've now pushed this uh, team to third place. And my rotation now is Noah Syndergaard, Danny Salazar, Jacob deGrom, Trevor Bauer, Alex Wood, Lance McCullers, Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, so many of those guys came in midseason and have been uh, excellent. So, yeah, I, I don't know where it is. I think it's because – you know what? What is this notion? It's not the first time that the, the tweet that you got about uh, talking. You know why y'all say there was pitching depth? Where, where isn't there? I still think you know. Even though offense has come back a little bit, I don't think that that means there's no pitching depth. It's just not necessarily coming from some of the guys that the industry expected. You know, nobody was really banging the drum for Shelby Miller to come back uh, and and I, I was. And, and push forward <laughs> and look at what he's doing. See that? That's one you got. Um, you know, the guys that no, you but mentioned. Check out also, just look at the rankings here. He, you saying after the top 12 or so, it drops off. Uh, I'm just going to list names after the top 12. Sonny Gray, Chris Archer, Cole Hamels, Jake Arrieta, Jacob deGrom, uh, Dallas Keuchel, Michael Pineda, Masahiro Tanaka. What? 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 Well, I, yeah. Those I, guys are bad? I, I just don't know where there's not still pitching depth. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, you know, it's there. I, I, I could maybe give you uh, after the top 50. Which was something that I actually said coming into the season. Well, we was, said there was a glob from like 50 yeah. to 80, and that's gonna that means there's gonna be a lot of chaff in there too. You're gonna have to find the wheat because the talent is so similar. But that yeah. to me, that's still depth. It's just it's just globbed together weirdly, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's an argument for for a, a lot of sort of semi streaming and sure, uh, and, and definitely as many two for ones as you can manage in, on the pitching side. If anybody will ever give you a two for one, do it because especially if you're giving up like Jesse Hahn and Chase Anderson or uh, you know Jesse Hahn and Chris Heston for anything in the top forty uh, for Tyson Ross or whatever, you know, like do it because 
you're climbing up that ladder and you're getting out of that 50 to 80 thing. But, you know, that was something we were upfront about from the beginning was that, you know, there kind of is like, I would say a top 40, 50, and then, and then, a, and then know, a bunch that you're going to have to figure out, you know, because I, it, my preseason rankings, I think I had Carlos Martinez at like 95. Cause you know, you love the talent, but, but what, what, what's he going to do? And he turned out to be a star. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's not pitching depth. I think there is, there is some, I, I want to stay on these potential breakouts real fast here. I got one other one that I think could, could be a, a big hit here and he's been fine this year, a uh, little bit underwhelming, but Brandon Moss, you know, he's delivered the power. Uh, which is what you expect. So you're at least getting that 14 bombs so far. The average has been a little light at 226. And that, I say a little light because uh, we, we expect a lower batting average from him, but 226, probably lower than we even expected. So uh, he could get back to his 245 career mark. I don't think that that's out of the realm. The new ballpark that he's in Cleveland does help lefties actually. Uh, so, you know, the fact that he's only got a 629 OPS at home, maybe he kicks it in the high gear at home, starts hitting like he is on the road. And then all weather. of a sudden, pardon me, weather, that's right. The weather's been pretty brutal in the Midwest uh, and, and even uh, a little bit further out. Colorado, I think, particularly has, has been a nightmare out there. So um, I think Brandon Moss is another one of those guys who who is in that if you're if you are picking candidates who could realistically hit 20 homers the rest of the way, I think he's a, a has to be one of the candidates in there. So if you can get that kind of pop. Even if it doesn't come with a batting average boost, I'd be fine with it. But I do think it could. I still love Brandon Moss, and I still think he's somebody that you can get to fill a power need for relatively cheap, considering the potential that goes with it. So I still love him. I I would be acquiring him for second half runs. Yeah, I think my guy is actually pretty similar to yours, and uh, I just wanted to give a little love to Lucas Duda. I know nice. that uh, people are are getting close to dropping him, but. Um, Lucas Duda has the 22nd best hard hit rate um, and isn't quite the same as saying that uh, Solaire would be 10th because uh, around Lucas Duda are, are guys where, you know, Adam Lind, Curtis Granison, Pedro Alvarez, Adam LaRoche. But, you know, behind him are Jay Bruce, Chris Bryant, Prince Fielder. So, you know, I think it's a decent place to be. Uh, sure. And it, it, you know, it shows that he's still showing power even if, um, it hasn't shown up in the home run category. Um, you know, to some extent, power peaks in August with the weather. Uh, we know that you get um, four feet of batted ball distance for every 10 degrees of weather. So that's why I mentioned that with with uh, with Moss. And so I think there's going to be a little bit uh, more power thing. And then, you know, I think that Duda is a really good player in that he will give you walks when he's not going well. Um, he'll still get on base. He'll Absolutely. still give you some value. And then he does have little power outbursts every once in a while. And, and he, he was does great for two months. He was excellent. Yeah. And it was looking like so he's going to be bad. I mean, who was it that told me? Uh, God, somebody told me recently, a player told me, said, you know, you have, oh, Justin Upton of all people. This is what Justin Upton told me. He said, you have one great month, you have two good months, and you have two crappy months. I, yeah. Or you have one, you know, no, I think he said, you have one great month, you have one crappy month. And then the rest are in between. I, I, and, I've uh, always said that. Guys are always going to have at least one bad month. And so you don't always have to overreact when it does come. Yeah. And I think, you know, nothing says to me, I mean, other than his age, uh, 29, but it's not the kind of age where you would you expect the kind of drop that he's got in, in, in ISO so far. So, you know, I believe in the projections picking back up as they do. 
I would take the the healthier uh, projections. I don't see why he needs to miss playing time like Zip says he does. So basically, if you take his best playing time projections and add it to his best ISO projections, I think you're talking about another 15 home runs, um, which, you know, to look up at the end of the season and he's hit 250, 260 with uh, 25 home runs. Um, probably, you know, he's, and if he does do that, uh, it's going to pick up the whole offense. It's going to be part of the story for why, you know, the Mets did well. So, you know, I, I think, uh, I think Duda's got a little bit more coming for him and, uh, you know, it's just, it, it hasn't been the greatest month, but, uh, yeah, like we said, it happens. You know what? I'm going to use that to transition into a, into another guy here. And, uh, the league has made an adjustment on Mr. Jock Peterson. Uh, we've seen that in the last month. His triple slash is 176, 342, which just shows you how great his plate discipline is, uh, but 319 on the slug. And that's over 114 plate appearances. Peterson was at 253, 377, 566 in 240 plate appearances before that. So he's having his bad month right now. Um, how do you how do you how do you value him the rest of the way? Because I think people get hung up on the bad batting average, and for me, I just look at the OBP and slugging, and I'm like, okay, I'm still I'm still not worried about the batting average. I know that a lot of leagues are five by five with average, so it does matter, particularly for us in fantasy. But if I'm getting the rest of that production, I don't necessarily care. My only concern, I guess, uh, with Peterson in terms of five by five fantasy is he hasn't really been running. In fact, he's been terrible when he has. He's two for seven. So I don't know if he's figuring out how to run against big league pitching, uh, you know, and and catching. But it's really the pitcher, or, or what? Or if he's just saying, you know what, I'm delivering the power. I don't need to. I don't need to run. But like I said, the league has made their adjustment. It's time for Jock's adjustment. Do you think he makes the adjustment and has a solid second half, or do you think we'll see more of the struggles as opposed to the the glimpses of stardom that we saw throughout the first half? Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, it, I think it's actually pretty simple. I was looking at heat maps, and here's a, a fun thing for people um, listening. Um, if you actually look at the um, URL in the heat maps um, on, on fan graphs, mm-hmm. you can actually change – um, the uh, the URL um, and and put in dates oh, yourself. Nice. So um, for example, you just go into the heat maps and you uh, you can actually if you press refresh on the heat maps. Um, for some reason, it's not doing it for me. Okay, so you go into the heat map, just press refresh on the heat maps, and then look at the the URL. And what you'll see is that there is this language that says you'll see 2214 it'll say 2014 or 2015 it'll say the year twice mm-hmm. and that's the start point and the end point um, and all you have to do to change the date and see specific date ranges on the heat maps is uh, put dash uh, like short dash mm-hmm. uh, you know month 03 for March uh, and date 01. And and uh, and then do it for the endpoint too, and uh, and then press return, and you'll get a heat map just for your date range. Oh, sweet! So that's a, that's a Fangraphs hack for you. Uh, I was doing that, and I couldn't really find a, a very obvious thing in the way they're pitching him, except that they've stopped pitching him up and in like they did last year, and then this year they're slight. They're, they're like trying to pull him down and away uh, more and more. Just as they're getting more afraid of him, so they're they're pitching more down and away. And that's that's traditional stuff. But mostly the biggest deal, and you can see this on Brooks, is that um, they're just hit, they're throwing him fewer and fewer fastballs. So, and and uh, that's going to happen. I mean, that he, you're 23 year old. You ripped through the league 
they're going to adjust. When you start, they're going to challenge you to say, listen, kid, you hit a fastball, uh, fine, hit it again, and then I'll respect you. So he hit it once. They kept throwing him. He hit it twice. Now they respect him. They're changing. It's time for him to alter his approach a bit. Yeah, I mean, he, he got 60% uh, fastballs in the first month, first month, and then went down to 45%. So Wow. Yeah, that's that's a big adjustment. Um, you know, what's what's he gonna do is is the question. The nice thing is that his um, his his whiffs uh, his whiffs have have managed to um, have managed to stay about about the same um, as he's seen more breaking pitches. They've gone up a little bit, um, but um, you know the the other nice thing is that uh, he's swinging less. At the breaking stuff as they're throwing him more so and maybe that means he's swinging about the same but basically he's not uh necessarily falling for it what he is falling for a little bit is the off-speed stuff so change-ups are giving him a, a fit right now uh he's swinging at them 64 percent of the time and um once he swings he misses well actually that's interesting that is really interesting his whip percentage once he swings in the last month on changeups, it's seven percent. Oh wow! So that's not so, what that, he's not flailing on the change. Yeah, that's down big. I would actually say that's a. Uh, I would say considering that his whip percentage once you swing is has stayed steady for breaking pitches and gone down for the changeup, um, and this is all while they're throwing him more of those pitches. I would say he's fine. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he's I, he's not. I can understand that. He's not getting crazy. You know, let's, he's not. Let's talk about the 26% homer to fly ball rate. We know that yeah. the big power guys are usually going to have a, a pretty high one for the year. Uh, it can be in that 20% range. I don't know that, that Peterson's necessarily that kind of guy that you, that you figure that for like you would with a Stanton or a Harper or a Trout, et cetera. Maybe he is, and, and he might go from 26 to 20, but what if he gets closer to maybe not even league average, which is 10, 11%. What if he's down at 15%? Um, do you think that's a, a risk, or does he hit the ball so hard and so well when he does strike at that you're not really worried? Well, he doesn't really bother with going oppo. Uh, he's definitely a big pull hitter. No, pulls yeah. and smashes the ball. 41% hard rate for Jock Peterson. That's so yeah. dirty, dude. And 45% pull with 18% oppo. That's, that's uh, pretty extreme. Um, you know, he, he says he has to think. He told me in, a, in an interview that he has to think about hitting fly balls. And he hit, you know, he at the beginning when he first came in, he hit a bunch of grounders. And then he kind of started to hit more fly balls as, as the season went on. That's when he really got hot. So, um, you know, there's some, there's definitely, he's thinking about his approach, but it's also a lot of athleticism. He's not that far from where you might project him, um, you know, power wise coming out of the minors. Uh, but the projections say he's going to take a real step back in terms of ISO um, uh, and, uh, and even in terms of just raw home run total, I don't know though, man, uh, just what, from what I cited about how he's looking at pitches, I think he's, uh, he's going to really, I think he's going to adjust. I think he's going to, um, you know, swing less and less at these pitches and, and at these non fastballs and really look for his fastball and, um, I think he's in the middle of adjusting. So I, 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 I the projections say he'll finish with 32 home runs. I'll take the over. I'll take the under on 40. 
but so somewhere uh, in that mid 30s range for you. Yeah, 35, 36. It's a step back. It's still but so not, hot. Yeah, it's pretty hot. <laughs> that, that, I wish he was stealing bases. Like he's stole right? 30 bases in the minor leagues, and he's stole two so far. It's looking like maybe Springer. that'll happen when uh, he, he you know, he's not hitting homers, but. Remember Springer last year when he now he he was stunted by injury because uh, he he was kind of being great, uh, but but in the 345 plate appearances for Springer when he came up last year he was five for seven so a little bit different two for seven for Jock right now but um, you know he wasn't running at the level that we had seen Springer do and then all of a sudden this year unfortunately he's hurt again but 14 for 17 in about a same sample 324 plate appearances for Springer so maybe he. Peterson just needs to get comfortable, learn a little bit more about when to go, uh, you know, how to steal off the off the major league pitchers, and he'll be fine. I don't think I would bury the speed on him. If anything, I could see a second half speed boost that would offset some of the power slide for Jock, and then he's right there being another, you know, a top ten guy beasting out again this uh, second half of the season. So I agree with you that he's going to continue to be good. I think he'll make his adjustment. Um, and you know, not going to give you a huge average, but if he's at that 250 range, I'll take it all day because I'm even I'm willing to eat a, you know a 225, 230 because of all the pop that he gives. Heaven forbid, you know, he gives me a 250. I almost consider that a surplus. You know, I want to end with a guy that uh, that you deserve some credit on. We were speaking earlier about you know there's no pitching depth and uh, you know take your hits for the guys that you've missed on, and we will. I think we always are stand up guys about saying, listen, we miss on some guys, uh, but somebody I remember. We were talking about the twins and, uh, and you know, kind of how real they were. And I'll say, you know what? They're not real because their two best pitchers right now are both going to fade. And that was Mike Pelfrey and Kyle Gibson. And I weren't, you know, they weren't the same, but they were both touting like uh, sub three ERAs without the skills anywhere near there to back it. And I said, sell on both. You said, I hear what you're saying. I'm not exactly dying to get this guy. Deuces out, peace out, Pelfrey. But Kyle Gibson, you were saying, don't necessarily give up on. I still like him to rebound. I think that was a disagreement that we had where I was more of push, punting him to 16, and you were still saying 15 had some love for, for Gibson, and he's been fantastic. Um, you said hang with him. 307 ERA, 118 whip, 21% K rate, which is above average, 3.2 strikeout to walk ratio, and that's over 70 and a third innings for his last 11 starts for Kyle Gibson. Is he starting to to transform the way you thought or are the results coming without the, the, the adjustments that you expected? You know, he's slowly, slowly throwing the slider more and it, it actually follows the pattern he did last year. So maybe, uh, maybe some of this is, you know, it's kind of funny. There's a pattern in the game and I, and someone, um, I think a teammate, maybe Kinsler was talking about David Price the other day. And he said, well, David Price didn't have a great day, and he had to go to his off-speed stuff earlier than he wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, but he still went eight innings and had a great game. Yep, that was yesterday, and, I believe. Yeah, and uh, that, I think, is an is a interesting way to think about not only the game, but a season. I think that you're, I think pitchers have to think about not only what's happening right now, but they have to think about what's happening uh, three plate appearances from now, six plate appearances from now. What's going to happen the second time I see this guy? You know, so they 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 have to think about the game as a as a full entity, and so you know it makes a lot of sense to start with the fastball because you're going to have the most velocity at the beginning of the game. Start with the fast fastball, get strike one, get 
get it on establish the outside corner, establish the inside corner, get them thinking about the fastball, get them thinking about 95, 94, 93, whatever it is. And then, uh, and, and also establish where the zone is with the, the pitch you can command the best. And then you start bringing in the slider and the change and get the grounders and, a, you know, bop, 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 and, and, and get the whiffs and, 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 and change things up. So that's what, that's what happens on a, on a, on a, any, on a game basis. We know that. Mm-hmm. What I haven't thought about, which might actually be true, is that this is happening on a season uh, level too. And that if you see Kyle Gibson early in the season, you saw more fastballs. And if you see him in August, you saw more junk. It happens on a career level. So it's kind of funny that it might actually happen not only in the game. We know it happens on the career level. They throw fewer fastballs as they age. They throw more junk. And we know it happens on the game level. So why wouldn't it happen on the season level? So uh, you look at last season, he threw more sliders and fastball, uh, throw sliders and changes and curves as the season went on and fewer fastballs. And it's starting to happen now. And what would be really interesting is if, you know, despite his low strikeout and whiff totals right now, or at least early in the season, if, you know, he brings up his whiff totals to meet, you know, the kind of bring up the peripherals to meet your ERA absolutely, and, and have the season, the overall season. And then you can have the arguments where people said, well, Kyle Gibson was good all year and you said he didn't have the peripherals. Well, then he did have the peripherals. So um, what I always come back to is that I believe in Kyle Gibson stuff. He, is, he has a, a sinker that gets great ground balls. He gets great ground balls. He has good command. Um, and he has the off-speed and the braking stuff to get whiffs. The, the mix hasn't been ideal for me because I want strikeouts, but the Twins are probably happy with it. Oh, yeah. They, uh, they probably get mad when he had a seven-strikeout game. Bro, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you doing, man? Well, we need more ground balls. We need more contact to possibly but, uh, go for general, I'm happy that I got him on, on labor, my, my labor squad. The pitching is not the problem necessarily other than losing Stroman. But um, I think he's a really good, um, you know, innings guy, uh, AL only kind of guy. When it comes to 12-teamers, I got to pump the brakes a little bit. Sure. Um, Maybe. I, I think I'd play him at home. I think he's, a, a, a you know, somewhere between a streamer and a guy you keep on your on your bench and play at home kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, and at, for, for record, those home numbers, nine, nine of his 17 starts at home, 293 ERA in 55 in the third innings with a uh, 6-7 strikeout per nine and a 2-7 strikeout to walk. So that includes some of the bad and a lot of the good. Um, I can deal with that. So Gibson, in a mixed league, a bench guy, almost like a bench streamer. It's like one level above uh, a, yeah. a true streamer because you don't cut him out there to let maybe people pick him up uh, before you can get him again. So I, I agree with you there. Like I said, I, I just I thought more of a 2016 for Gibson. I, I wasn't um, completely getting rid of him as a potential quality arm. I just didn't see it in the cards this year, and he's turned it around a bit. Um, not not completely as you as you outlined, but enough to to bring back the intrigue. So I like it. Uh, I want to end on that note though i want to end on the high note with kyle gibson because like i said you were saying hang with him when it looked like the collapse of collapses was going to come for him uh almost the way it really has for pelfrey i mean i think pelfrey's bottom line numbers are still uh okay looking i think he's got an exactly four era but pretty much since we had that conversation mike pelfrey has been the mike pelfrey that we're we're more used to seeing uh, he's had some glimpses you know not he hasn't been terrible uh every start out but he i know i don't know exactly when we had that conversation but i know that both eight earned run outings for for pelfrey have come since that discussion because uh he he was definitely toting a sub three era when we had that twins discussion so um 
you know, we gave him a nice long one because you're going to be out next week. You're having your trip. I hope you have a wonderful vacation. Um, I'm either going to – I think I'm going to do one guest and then maybe another kind of like an email show where it's, where it's all about y'all. So I'll figure that out. I'm talking to some folks about getting them in here uh, for a guest situation. There will be shows Saturday, Tuesday, and Thursday – or excuse me, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday per usual. Uh, no all-star break for the sleeper and the bust. But, you know, enjoy your vacation, and we'll talk back with you uh, a couple Tuesdays from now. Come to the meetups. There's actually beer graphs meetups also. If you're interested in knowing about those, uh, look at beer graphs. Uh, they're on uh, tomorrow. There's one in New York, and then uh, that's tomorrow is Saturday. Saturday the uh, 11th. The 11th, and then and Thursday the 16th. There's a beer graphs, and you know most of those guys will talk baseball too. And that's on the uh, 16th in Philadelphia. So uh, a bunch of meetups, a bunch of fun. Time for me to take a little break. Uh, may not see much writing from me and uh, much love for listening folks if you so haven't see, met see you guys in Chicago if you haven't met Eno you better go out there if for no other reason than to see the hair in person take care I Eno. may throw it out I'm thinking about throwing it out I, I hope you do see ya <laughs>